The accounts shared on this podcast, including this episode, reflect the guests' thoughtful recollections and opinions of experiences perceived and occurring over many years, including childhood memories, which may be fallible and limited by perspective and trauma. Persons may have different memories regarding certain events. We all experience pain in our lives, and we all deal with it in different ways. It can feel lonely at times because it's hard to find someone who will be honest about what they've been through. Sometimes, though, a rare soul will come along and share their experience and how they dealt with it, whether good or bad. I burned all my bridges. Mm. Girl, I torched them up. Yeah. (laughs) As I went. Terry Hoover. A fiery woman with spiked hair is honest on a whole different level. Oh, wow. But I had severed ties with my mom. Um, I had severed ties with almost everybody. I was just so crazy. I was drinking intravenous drugs. Oh, wow. Um, anything I get my hands on. Terry has been to rock bottom and back several times. From a wild childhood to getting married at 16 to all kinds of addiction and loss, Terry has seen it all, and she's here to tell her story. On this episode of Kava, we hear from someone who seems to have the secret to facing all kinds of hardship, and she's here to share it with us. This episode of Kava the Podcast was sponsored by Horton and Archibald. Whether business transactions, business disputes, or personal legal matters, the lawyers at Horton and Archibald provide guidance and strategy for effective solutions. For more information about sponsorship, please visit our website at kavapodcast.com. I didn't know my family was redneck. I didn't know I was. Terry grew up in Marshall, Texas, a small town about two hours east of Dallas. Small town. Um, It was very country, which at the time I didn't know that. Uh Um, Very, very (laughs) redneck. You don't know what you don't know. Right. (laughs) That's really what it was. I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, Yeah, I grew up in a, um, my father was, um, a welder. My mom didn't work. Okay. Um, she, you know, took care of us. And um, so uh, we always struggled because if the union said you didn't work, you didn't work. Oh, wow. And so you drug up is what they call that. And um, so they would drag up and, and they wouldn't work for a while until they worked out their whatever their differences were with the powers that be. So um, there were times that food was scarce. Wow. Um, I do remember one time when I was about seven or eight, because I was in school already, um, somebody brought food to our house, and um, I don't know if it was a church or some kind of a charity or something, and um, I, I just, my mom says that that she doesn't remember that, but I do, so I don't know why I remember that. <laughs> Maybe I'm crazy, but... I just remember somebody bringing food to our house one time when my dad wasn't working. So my dad died when I was 10. I lived in Marshall until I was 18, and then I moved about 20 minutes away to Longview. At 18 years old, Terry packed her bags and left her hometown following a loss that no teenager should ever have to live through. 
Well, I got married when I was 16. I thought I was pregnant. And um, so the guy said, well, then let's get married. So we did. And I actually wasn't pregnant. And um, which I told him right before the wedding. And he's like, hey, let's just do it. So we did it. And, you know, wow. young and stupid. And yeah. um, he was 18. I was 16. He got killed a, about a year and a half or a year and, I don't know, almost oh, two wow. years later in a car accident. Hearing Terry speak about death, you'd think it's as normal as the sun coming up every day. For whatever reason, she was familiar with death and loss, starting from a very early age. You know, I'm always amazed. Like, I meet people and they'll go, Oh, I've never been to a funeral, and they're like twenty. I'm like, what? How could that be? Because how could been, that? Yeah, how could that be? So, because we had buried so many people in my family by the time I was twenty, it was crazy. So I was there out on my own, and wow. Um, when he got killed, I um, just if I could have spun out any more crazy, right? I, I was more crazy after that than even before he got killed. Um, I had quit high school because I was so smart because I didn't need school. And mm-hmm. um, so <laughs> I was really smart then. But anyway, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I was bartending, waiting tables, doing whatever. I was selling pot. I um, generally yeah. had a big bag of pot in the back of my vehicle, and I was selling pot out of the back of my <laughs> truck. And so, and my stepfather was a police officer. So, um, you know, it was known. Yeah. Who I was okay. and small town kind of stuff. Right. Um, I got away with a lot of stuff, I think. Terry's reputation followed her around for some time until finally she ran headlong into an intervention. One of the girls that um, I was staying with, because I never really had like a, I was just kind of a vagabond. I was just kind of moving around. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the girls I was staying with um, stole some of my drugs. So I got... Um, I got into this issue with the guy who had fronted me the dope, mm. and um, basically he threatened to kill me. So, oh wow! I called my aunt, who had no children and the only person in the family who had money, and I said, "I need help." And she's like, "Who is this?" Because I really oh. didn't really have much of a relationship with her. Oh wow! And uh, so I told her my story, and she—I can remember—we were um, at a gas station on the outskirts of Longview, and she pulled up in her Cadillac, and she's like, "Get in!" And so I got in. It was like a <laughs> weird movie. Anyway, I get in, and so basically, she told me, "If I help you, you will come move in with me. You will go to school, okay, and you'll get off drugs and." and get clean and I was like I can do that at that point I was terrified for my life so I'll do whatever you ask me to do and usually this is the part where things turn around toward the sunny side Terry's aunt saved the day right well there are a lot of more days ahead um I moved in with her and her husband Uh and um who by the way had tried to molest me when I was much younger Oh, and um, yes, yeah, so I moved into their house, and it just started another chapter of that. And at oh. that point, because of my craziness, right, he had told me nobody will believe you, even if you tell, and that was true. I knew that because I had been such a liar, a drug addict. Um, oh wow, crazy! So I just had to keep my mouth shut, basically. For a long time, they bought me cars and clothes and, you know, whatever. And she had no idea. 
and um, one night we were at the neighbor's house. There was a little old lady named Messy, and we were at Messy's house, and they lived in the middle of nowhere. Like, you couldn't see a house from their house, and so we were at Messy's house, you know, 100 acres away, and um, my aunt said, I have to go out of town. I need you to take care of some things around the house, and I said, no, I can't stay there. I can't stay there. Yeah. And uh, Messy, in all her old wisdom, said, what's going on? Mm. And I spilled my guts, and immediately I was expelled from the home. Yeah. Um, but I will say this: my aunt got me an apartment, <clears throat> and um, moved me out of out of the house. And um, wow! So she moved me into a safe place, um, and so that has put a weird, yeah, a weird twi- twist into our. Family dynamics. Yes. Um, they divorced years later, but... Okay. You know. It, yeah. She just hadn't... I don't think she had any idea, and I think it was a shocker. She worked a lot of hours, and... Yeah. So, so I was 18, 19, I guess, at that point. Um, you know, I had nothing. I had nowhere to go. Yeah. I had no money other than, you know, my bartending money. I had no... Um, I had nobody who really believed in me at that point. So Terry moved into an apartment in Longview and tried to start a new chapter in her life. And I was trying to go to school and work and and party. You know, it's hard to get all that oh, in. That's, that's <laughs> all it's hard to get all that into a day. No. I quit selling pot at that point. Okay. There you <laughs> so there was one life lesson out of that. I quit selling, selling dope, so that was good. Yeah. I did that for party. years, and I was just such a hot mess. Um... And, you know, the crazy thing is God just keeps putting people in my life that would love on me anyway, mm. even after I tried to burn their bridges mm-hmm. and their clothes yeah. and anything else. I, could, <laughs> I mean, I can remember I had a boss one time at this bar, and um, I had I was I had been up for days on, I don't even know what, Coke or something, and I went to work that night, and he knew when I walked in, he's like, you probably don't need to work. I'm like, oh, my God, i got to have money. I need to work, right. blah, blah, blah. Well, then I started, I decided drinking was going to bring me down. Boy, did it. And by the time the night went on, I was, you didn't need me waiting tables. I was crazy. So they locked me into the office, oh and I just destroyed his office. And so after work, he finally sat me down, and he's like, you're going into rehab. And so he put me in rehab the next day. Wow. Um, so... He, he was great. You know what? Like Most bosses would have just right. had you arrested. Yes. Um, but he put me in rehab, and I, I did rehab. I've done rehab a couple, few times back then. <clears throat> you know, some short, some long. But uh-huh. he saw potential, kind of, I guess. Yeah. So I wish I could find him now and say, hey, I survived. And she did survive. After cycling in and out of rehab several times, Terry finally got to the point where she was able to bartend while sober. She continued staying strong until one day she found the hardest drug she ever tried to shake. And I was working at this place, and this bartender came to town. <clears throat> they were training um, for a new place that was opening, and so I, I, I got the job. And so this girl was training me, and she said, you know, I live in Arlington, and if you're ever up there, why don't you come visit me? I showed up. I'm pretty sure she was like, oh, my God, I was kidding. <laughs> Slept on her couch for months. Oh, my goodness. And uh, finally, she had two roommates, and her roommates were just over me. And um, 
I was a mess. I mean, I, I was sober, but I was still like freeloading mess. And so she came in one day and she goes, I got you a job. Oh. And so you start next week. And I was like, uh, okay. And she goes, you have to wear a uniform. I was like, a uniform? She got me a job at a at a bar called Studebaker's. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And uh, so I had to wear a, you know, a cheerleader costume, whatever. And, oh, my God, my favorite job. I worked that job for, like, I don't know, four or five years. I traveled, um, trained bartenders all over the country. I love that job. But, it, again, you know, I can ruin anything if given the opportunity in this state <laughs> of mind. So I um, met my boss mm-hmm. and fell madly in love and thought I was going to die if I couldn't have him. And, um, God, it was like <laughs> oil and fire. It was, oh, my. It was just... Anyway, we got married. This should have been the... the this should have been the the opening statement of life. I wore a black wedding dress. That should have said everything you needed to say right there. <clears throat> so we got married. We were married about six months, and I was got pregnant, and he said, oh, no, I didn't, didn't want a baby. So he left me, and I was six months pregnant. And um, we worked in the bar scene, and he ran, you know, right. he ran Dallas Alley at that point. Okay. I don't know if I can say that, but yeah, he yeah. ran a big bar conglomerate, and yeah. um, he told me that I would not work in our industry again. Oh wow! And um, when I after I had my baby, I could not get a job. Nobody would hire me because everybody knew that it was such a it was a volatile divorce. I mean, like stalking, not him, me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, he was the worst drug I have ever tried to kill. Not even kidding. Oh wow! Uh, he was the worst drug I've ever tried to kick. Um, I went. I would go to every place he would be. I would. Um, mm, I, I could just tell you story after story of craziness. Yeah. No, I have a baby at that point. Okay. And we're trying to share custody, and I was that person, yeah. that mother that uses your child as a pawn. And just wanting to be attached to that. I just wanted that man. I wanted that man more than I wanted that baby at some certain points. Yeah. Um, I was that crazy. And um, and the more I wanted him and the more I went after what I wanted, the uh-huh. more he pulled back. Right. I'm sure he saw crazy with a capital K and said, good God, <laughs> let me get out of here. So, <laughs> And he told all his friends. <laughs> He told anybody that would listen, I'm sure. So, anyway, he, um, mm, I'm sure he just, if he could have moved away, yeah, he probably would have, but he couldn't because he had a child. And, yeah. you know, part of that was just being a man and he wasn't, he was going to stand his ground. And, um, that that lasted so long. My mom, I can I can remember my mom calling me and just saying, "Terry, you've got to let go." And she's like, "This is the worst drug." My mom has told me over yeah. and over again, "This is the worst drug you've ever been addicted to." Wow, it truly was that bad. Wow. Um, I I would call her crying. I'm going to commit suicide. I'm gonna I'm gonna wow. shoot myself. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna wow. do myself in. I mean, I was so crazy for this guy. Wow. And he was so not crazy for me. After all that time fighting to be sober, Terry found herself hooked once again. Unlike the people who had come along to free Terry from her addictions, this man kept feeding the fire. 
I mean, and he would come back and, you know, want to spend the night and uh, take me somewhere or do something or whatever. Oh, and he's then, feeding the fire. Oh, yeah. And then I would think, oh, my gosh, this is going to get back together. Yes. We're going to be a family. And then yes. he wouldn't call me back for days and days and days and um, oh. until it was his time to pick up my little boy. And um, and so, of course, then there was the emotional stuff with my child because it would be his weekend and he would have a date so he wouldn't come and get him. And so then the babysitter would call me. And so it was just this, um, we were on this emotional Whoa erratic roller coaster yes and um so then um enters tom hoover tom hoover was unlike anyone terry had ever met once he entered her life terry began to learn who she truly was my girlfriends and i went out dancing one night and saw this handsome cowboy and i was like "Mm, i gotta meet him so i went and talked to him and we just hit it off from the minute we we had the first conversation, and um, we went to a restaurant that night after the bar and uh-huh. talked for hours. And at the end, he goes, oh, by the way, I'm moving to Houston. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so he moved to Houston. He was gone not very long, a few months. And uh-huh. he finally called and said, you know, I, I, I'm in love with you, and I think we can make this work. Wow. And, um, and But he did know that he was still fighting against my ex-husband because uh-huh. I was still— uh, trapped in that. I, I mean, even at that point, I'm not. I'm not sure if my ex-husband wouldn't have come back. I would have said, "Oh, I'd have dropped everything because I was right. still so addicted to that wow. craziness." And um, and and Tom is a saint. I'll just say. I mean, he's mm. a saint for putting up with me. Uh, we got married, and um, after. Several incidences, and we, my ex-husband and I got along pretty well. Now, at this point, Jake is like five, almost six. Mm -hmm. Uh, My ex-husband and I got to a point where we could get along well enough to, um, for us to be in the same room and Mm -hmm. to make sure that Jake was the most important person in the room. And it wasn't, it was no longer about us completely. And, um, but then we had a, a big row about, um my ex bringing Jake home and he wanted me to drive into Dallas to pick him up when we lived way out in the country. And I was like, that's not the deal. That's not what the papers say, whatever. And so it became this big fight on the phone and, um, I won. So he brought him home. Yeah. (laughs) I won. Uh, so he brought him home, but when he got to the house, my husband at the time, Tom now, um, asked my ex-husband to come sit down. And so he sat us down in the garage, like babies, like teenagers, and said, this is no longer about you. Wow. You are breaking your child's heart. What are you doing? Oh. And he said, from here on out, I will be the middleman, and you are not allowed to talk to each other until you can act like adults. Wow. And that's in a nutshell. That's not exactly what he said, but that's in a yeah. nutshell what he said. And my ex-husband agreed, and I agreed, and um, he became our mediator. And the next few years were so amazing for Jake. For once in his life, he didn't have to worry about, are mom and dad going to have a fight about this? Or is dad not going to show up Mm. because he's mad at mom? Or, you know what I'm saying? Right. All of a sudden, Tom was the hero. And, you know, Tom, I mean, Tom arranged every uh, weekend. He arranged 
um, every meeting, every soccer game, every wow. whatever, you know, whatever we had going on, he arranged it. And it was the best thing that we could have done until we could be adults. Wow. And um, it was hard. Wow. I mean, here I was at, I mean, at that point I had to be 30 and I was still so stupid about this person. Yeah. You know, I let him control my emotions and it, it, that's not his fault. It was mine. You know, right. I let him control my emotions. I was crazy. Wow. Even after all those years. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Like I look back now and I can literally see I was crazy. I was, <laughs> I, I mean, you talk about crazy love. Like, yeah. It, and I, I don't even know that I could call it love. It was a crazy addiction. Jake loved Tom, and Tom treated him like his own, mm. and um, he was very um, normal, which was really weird for me, and I was, it it was unusual, and it was weird for me. Right. It's like, you're so normal. Are you not going to drink beer before we go to here? Are you not going to yeah. get in a fist fight at a... At a family gathering. I mean, I came from a crazy family. And it, was, it wow, all those things didn't happen every time we went. But when I was growing up, I mean, it was not unusual for my dad or my uncle or somebody to, you know, wow. there to be a lot of beer drink and uh-huh. a lot of things said, you know. And it yeah. wasn't always uh, fisticuffs, but it was, yeah. there was usually words, somebody's feelings got hurt or whatever. And then we'd have to leave because <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what Larry's going to say now. <laughs> It took some time for Terry to get used to this new normal. Tom was more stable than anyone in her life had ever been. I mean, I just couldn't even, I couldn't get him, push him to be ugly. I was like, what's wrong with you? So why was he not ugly? I I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. It's like, I want more of that. It turned out that Tom had the secret to making it through the craziness of life. Well, you know, he asked me when we, the first night we met, if, uh, if I went to church, I guess uh-huh. that was his way of asking me if I was a believer. And I was like, and I'm thinking, what is my answer? Because I did not grow up in church. And I had only been to church one time in the last 20 years. Right. And it was with a hairdresser lady that I had met. Okay. And uh, it was at Lake Point. Okay. And um, he asked me if I went to church. And I was like, yes, because I wanted this man. And... He went to church. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, obviously that happened. was important or he wouldn't have asked me. Right. So I said, yes. And so he said, well, okay. So weeks go by and he's in Houston. He comes back to visit and he goes, let's go to your church. I was like, okay, let's do. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is not even a joke. I'm not even. <laughs> Terry. Oh my goodness. So we happen to live. I happen to live. Pretty close to Lake Point. So I said, it's right down the street. Let's go. Well, what I failed to remember is when you go into the front doors of the old church, Uh there's doors on both sides of the hallway. Uh Well, church had already started because we were late. And um, it had already started. And then I could hear the music, Uh but I didn't know which doors to go in. So I was like, and so I kind (laughs) of slowed my roll when we got in the hallway. And thank God somebody opened the door. And I was like, here we go. So we just right, went right in, and Pastor Steve was talking about the 12 steps of AA, and I was like, oh, my God, we're home. For the first time in her life, Terry found herself in a room full of people, just like her, who were also full of hope. 
I mean, I just mm-hmm. knew that first time I walked in, I was like, this guy's real. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I did not own up to that for a very long, I wasn't about to tell Tom that, right. you know, that I didn't really go to church. And yeah. so, <laughs> and you know, well, he was still living, at that time, he was still living in Houston. Right. And so, it wasn't a discussion all the time right. or anything. And so, um, you know, when you want something bad enough, you'll do whatever yeah. you got to do to do it. So, um, we began to attend Lake Point on okay. a regular basis. Tom moved back. Uh, and we moved in together. We lived together in sin for a year before um, before we got married, and mm-hmm. um, and we went to Lake Point every weekend. And well, at that time, I'm doing hair. Okay, I'm a hairdresser, and okay. um, I had this lady that I had been doing for several years, and uh-huh. loved, loved, loved her. And her husband was a Nazarene preacher. Okay, and he wasn't preaching more. They were older, and. Um, so Tom reached out to them and asked if they would marry us or okay. he would marry us. And um, at that point, I had been pretty scarred from being married. So I yeah. would, I really didn't want to get married, but it was a big deal to Tom. Yeah. And so we went and got our marriage license, and I just kept putting it off mm-hmm. and putting it off. And, um, I, and I would say things like, you know— why do we need to get married now? You know, right? Why are we going to mess this up? Right? It's just a piece of paper. You know, all those things. And um, anyway, Tom showed up at my hair salon one afternoon Aww. with the preacher. And, oh wow! <laughs> and with a dress and a suitcase and um, everything you would need for a wedding. And so my staff at the time were our attendants and the preacher and Jake. And I got married in the middle of my hair salon (laughs) after doing hair. Tom chased Terry down despite all of her excuses, and they've spent their lives together ever since that day. Terry would tell you that she still had a lot to learn about love. The next episode of Kava has even more twists and turns in store for Terry. This wild ride through life is far from over. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kaval the Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and that you will subscribe, download, and share this on your social media pages and with your family and friends. If you find yourself in a desperate place, it is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you and shared their stories. They have exemplified the meaning of Kaval, learning to wait during difficult times to find an eventual positive outcome. I can't express my gratitude for my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I would not be able to do this without you. For more information, please visit kavathepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.